Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah 63. And if you, when you get there, you'll notice there are only a total of 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. So we are getting down to the wire in our study here. Now, Isaiah 63 has a total of 19 verses. But as I was studying this, I learned that, uh, again, as, as we have come to understand, the people who divided the Bible up into chapters and verses didn't necessarily pay attention to the actual content. They just kind of arbitrarily chose, this, this looks like a good place to stop. And so chapter 63 actually has two sections. And chapter 63, uh, the second section, actually ties in with chapter 64. So this is what we're going to do for our study in this, in this time of Isaiah 63, I mean of, of chapter 63. We're only going to look at the first six verses of Isaiah chapter 63. And then the next time we get together for preaching, which won't be next Sunday, because if you remember, next Sunday we have the guests um, that are going to be coming and, and ministering to us. But the next time we get together, two weeks from now, we'll look at Isaiah 63, chapter 7, verse 7, and all of Isaiah 64. So, let's read through Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. Now, I have taken a long time giving you that introduction with the intent that that gives you time to open up your Bibles, either on your phone or your tablet, or actually open up a paper Bible. I encourage you to really follow along um, not only today, but all the times, but especially today, because th- these are these are some hard words. I, I read them, and honestly, I didn't like them, and I do a lot of praying over them, and then I had to do some studying, and then I do more praying. <laughs> but let's we're going to read through it, Isaiah chapter sixty-three, verses one through six. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to break it down. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments from Bosra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who tread in the wine, treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. And I trampled down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. That's such an uplifting passage. Makes me feel so good. I just feel the love of God, don't you? It really left a very bad taste in my mouth. To read this. And so I went on and read the rest of it. But as I was studying, I honestly thought, well, I'll just skip over chapter, I mean, verses 1 through 6 and just move on to 7 and on. 
Because that's a whole lot more nice and palatable. And, you know, I'm not doing a verse by verse anyway. I'm just doing a survey of Isaiah. So we'll just do the latter part that, like, that I like a whole lot better. And the Holy Spirit of God said, I don't think so. This is where you're going to be speaking this morning. But God, I don't like these words. I don't like what this is portraying. This makes me ill, honestly. Yep, too bad. This is what you're going to look at this morning. Okay, so let's do a little bit of a little bit of uh, exegesis as far as what the meanings of these different things are. First of all, does anybody know what, who, or where Edom is? Anybody? I'm sorry. You used to know. <laughs> Middle East. It's it's actually south southeast. Think about the Exodus and Moses brings the people of Israel to the land of Edom and says, we want to just pass through. We promise we won't take anything. We won't touch anything. We're just going to walk through. And they fought against the Israelites and said, you will not come through. And the end result was that they had to turn around and go a lot farther to get to where they needed to go. It's the area of Transjordan. It's it's to the to the east of Jordan. Okay, now Edom has a long history in the Bible of being against God's people. In this particular, well, and then moving on, it says, "Who is this who comes from Edom?" Edom. So somebody's asking the question about somebody who is coming from the land of people who don't like God's people, and then it says, "Who is?" Wearing crimsoned garments from Bozrah. What or where or who is Bozrah? Does anybody know? It is the capital city of Edom. Okay? So someone, this whoever they're talking about, this someone has come from the enemy's territory, from the capital city of the enemy's territory, and they're wearing red clothes. Right? Crimsoned garments. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. Now that whole thing is a question. Who is this who's coming from Edom, from Bozrah, wearing red clothes, splendor clothes, splendor, um, splendid apparel, I mean just striking clothing, marching in his strength. Who is this? Well, the answer comes right out here. It's me. I'm speaking in righteousness and I'm mighty to save. Okay, who are you? And then the very next question they say, why is your apparel red? Why are your garments like the person who treads in the wine press? Now, what is a wine press? Anybody know? How many of you people have ever seen the television show I Love Lucy? Okay, the TV show I Love Lucy from the 1950s. And at some point late in that series, Ricky Ricardo and Lucy and Fred and Ethel get on a cruise and they head to Europe. And at some point, they're in Italy. And at some point, while Ricky's off working, Lucy leaves the hotel and tries to get a little local color. 
and that she gets a lot more than she bargained for because she ends up having to tread in a wine press. Remember that episode? And she gets into a fight with the other woman who's doing that, and they start slamming each other with grapes, and, and they come home just covered, purple, with the grapes. Of course, it's a black and white television show, so you don't really get to see that. It just looks like a darker gray. But that's what a wine press is. It's this big, circular vat that they fill with grapes, and you squash them with your feet, and then there's a little drain hole at the bottom where the juice from the grapes comes out and then gets filled into barrels or jugs or whatever they're filling. And so the person says to him, to this, whoever this is, dressed in splendid apparel, wearing red, coming from Edom, they say, why are your clothes red? And why do you look like someone who was pressing, treading, treading grapes in a wine press? And he says, the answer from whoever this is, is I have trodden the wine press alone. From the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their life blood spattered on my garments and stained all of my apparel. Ew. That's gross. Because how did that happen? He squashed them like a bug. He literally killed people. And their blood splattered and got up on his clothes and stained them till they were red. That's disgusting. And it makes me sick to my stomach to even picture it. Verse 4. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. And I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. I have a sick feeling in my stomach as I read these words, thinking about what they're really saying. Here we have some person coming out of the enemy camp, if you will, dressed splendidly, walking in power and strength and might, speaking righteousness and truth, but covered in the blood of their enemies. And he talks about redemption and salvation and wrath and vengeance. Who is this guy? There's nothing in this section that would tell me who this guy is. So I have to then start searching other areas of the scripture to give me an indication or an understanding of who this guy might be. Turn with me 
to Revelation chapter 19. It's up on the screen if you can't remember. Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 19. Verse 11 through 17. Then I saw, John is the one speaking, John the Apostle. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. These are crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty One. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, we do not have time this morning to read other passages, but I would refer you to Daniel chapter 7. I would also refer you to Revelations chapter 16 through 22. And in your personal time, read through those and meditate on all of that as it relates to Isaiah chapter 63 verses 1 through 6. But what we see here in these two passages is a very clear, clear indication that the person, this majestic person of power, strength, and righteousness coming from the enemy's camp, covered in their blood, is the Holy One of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And if you go back to Isaiah chapter 63, it says that he came with vengeance and redemption. Now you see, in my personal relationship with God, I love the touchy-feely stuff. He delights over me. He sings songs of victory over me. As a weaned child with its mother, so am I. My soul is that way with my God. Just being held and succored by Him. But there's another side to this God that I love and serve and am in relationship with. And He's a God who exhibits His wrath on His enemies. He is a God who has declared 
If you were to go back into the Mosaic law, we did look at that last week, if you remember. He's not one to be messed with. Because he will wipe you off the face of the earth like that. Look at what he did to Pharaoh's army when they came against his people. Look at what he did to the Assyrian army when the people of God cried out and said, we are beyond any hope. And God said, oh, watch this. I got this. See, it's great to be serving a God like that. Not so great to not be serving a God like that. What does God want us to take from this this morning? You better be right with Jesus. You better. Or he squash you like a bug. Your blood will be all over his clothes. That's not a message I want to take out there. It's the truth. But it's not the message that I want to proclaim out there. What is the thing that I need to take from this? Jesus What do I say to these people this morning out of this passage that can be in any way helpful to them? And this is the answer that I got. If it makes you so sick to think about the blood of my enemies being splattered on my clothes, then why don't you do something about making them not be my enemies anymore? Hmm? Oh, it's all wonderful and wonderful and glorious that you had this wonderful, touchy-feely relationship with me. And yes, I love you. And I delight over you. And yes, we're going to have a great time when it's all said and done. Because when the new heavens come and the new Jerusalem comes and I am the all in all for all of the people on the earth, it's going to be glorious and we're going to have a great time. But guess what? That time is not now. Look at the screen. There are moments before that time comes. And in God's eternity, moments can be thousands of years or they can be days. But what God said to me to say to you this morning was, you are right now at this moment to think of someone that is daily in your life that is not in right relationship with God. Think of that person right now. Are you thinking about that person? Now imagine their blood splattered all over God's clothes at the end. Because that's what they're facing. It's in a game. There's wonderful, glorious blessings for being in right relationship with God. But only for the people of God. The word of God, if you read it, as I said, read Daniel chapter 7, read Isaiah, I mean read uh, Revelations chapter 16 all the way through to the end. There is blood and gore and horror for the people who are facing the wrath of God. And their only hope is if they come into right relationship with God through the blood of Christ. It's wonderful in our vernacular to say, God took all of the penalty for my sin. That makes it so nice. 
so gentle, so clean. I can remember back when I was a young, young adult, 18 or 19 years old, maybe 20, I don't think I was even 20 yet. I was at a Christian coffee house. Does anybody remember those? Guitars and candles on the table and wine bottles with candles and dripped all down over the wine bottles. And they served coffee and little crumpets and cookies and junk. And it was an evangelistic mission. And they would have open mic. And people would get up there with their guitars or do their little whatever. And I was at a Christian coffee house in San Angelo, Texas. And there was this young woman that got up to the open mic thing. And she stood up on the platform. And she started doing a little soliloquy, a little drama thing that was just her. And it was basically a southern woman. And I can't even begin to present who she was. But she was a southern woman. She was a refined woman. And she was trying to have a conversation with God. Because God, I understand that we're supposed to take up our cross daily. And and follow you. I understand that. But why does it have to be rugged? Why can't it be velvet and soft? And blood. What is the blood? Lord. Lord. Hello. Lord. Where did you go? And I, I shrunk. I shrunk down her 10-minute little thing. But you see, the message that she had in her little soliloquy and the message that I hear God saying to us this morning is that this is a bloody thing. Our religion is a bloody, gory, ugly, nasty thing and we sanitize it. We make it all about love and all about redemption and all about intimacy and all about being the bride of Christ and walking into the bridegroom and having this wonderful, glorious honeymoon experience. But the image that I got in my mind as I was, as I was meditating on this, these verses in Isaiah, the image I got in my mind was the warrior bridegroom coming in with blood dripping off of his sword and blood all over the bottom part of his robes and his boots full of blood and mud and caked and nasty, dripping with sweat, and some cuts and bruises, and saying, darling, I love you, but I gotta go get cleaned up first, and then we'll have the wedding. And quite honestly, to me, that's comforting, to know that I serve a God, and I'm in relationship with a God, who can move heaven and earth to take care of me, to protect me, who literally, with the blast of the nostrils, can make the oceans get out of the way if necessary. We talked about, we read that at the very beginning of the service, intentionally. Because we serve that God. The problem that we have is that the thousand or so people in our own community who don't serve that God are facing an eternity separated from Him And there is no hope unless they turn to him. And the only way they can hear is if somebody tells them. And the only way that they can be, that that, that you can tell them is if you get out of your fear and anxiety and I don't want to cause offense and I don't know what to say. If you know the truth, speak the truth. Don't worry about what anybody else is going to think and don't worry about saying the right words. Just speak. See, the enemy has us all twisted up. One of the things that the enemy does, and I I was going to bring it out into scriptures, but I was like, no, I don't want to focus on the enemy. 
But if you look in James, if you look in 1 Peter, we get an image that our enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. Steal, kill, and destroy. Roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Those are the images we have of the enemy of our souls. But in, in James, it says, I believe it's James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he must flee. You see, the enemy's purpose, the enemy of our soul's sole purpose is to hurt and, and, and dishonor God in any way that he can. He does it by messing with God's kids. Either by keeping them from seeing the truth or by keeping the rest of us shut up because we're afraid of speaking the truth. And the word, we heard a word from our sister this morning that when fear rears its ugly head, you stand your ground in your own home and you say, you have no place in my house. The Bible says, resist the enemy and he must flee. So now as Christians, we should have no worries about not being adequate or not being able or not having the right word. Because if those fears are continually coming to our mind, you just speak the truth and say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And then you walk in that knowledge that God is empowering you and you speak the truth and you let God do the, the converting. You don't have to lead anybody in a sinner's prayer. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, I, I remember the ABC thing, but I never can remember what the B man stands for. Psst. Stupid! All it is is distraction. You speak the truth, let the Holy Spirit of God do the work in the heart and the mind of the person, and when the time is ripe, God will guide you into leading them in a sinner's prayer. You don't have to follow a formula. You don't have to memorize books and say, well, this is how I have to do this. No. You be in relationship with your friend, who you supposedly like because they're your friend. And then you watch for absolutely every opportunity you can to speak truth into their life so that they don't have to get squashed like a bug and have their blood on the robe of Christ. Because the problem is, the word of God says that it is going to happen. Which means there will be some human beings who refuse, who literally stand with their fists clenched and their teeth gritted saying, I will not submit to you. Well, he's God. So they are going to die. And I can show you if you finish reading the book of Revelation, it happens. See, it's wonderful, glorious, fabulous at the very end. But there's some yucky stuff before you get to the very end. And the time is literally running short. So my encouragement to you this morning is to know that God delights in you. And he loves you with an unconditional love. 
And he welcomes you and accepts you as you are. And the offer of salvation is open to all human beings. And that same love and that same delight and that same wooing is open to every single human being. Except they have to be able to hear the truth. If they never come to a church, then how are they going to hear the truth? Unless somebody brings it to them. And that's you. They won't listen to me because I get paid to talk the truth. I mean, they'll listen to me. But they're not going to listen to me as effectively as they would listen to you sitting over a cup of coffee, sharing with them how you got through that horrible thing in your life. And how God is the only hope that you have. And how God proved to you through this means and this means and this means that there is indeed a designer and that there is indeed a plan for the universe and that it is put together by the only God that ever was. All of those words come out over a cup of coffee or while you're riding horses or while you are um, doing a craft together or while you were building a building or while you were out dog sledding and, and sharing the beauty of God's nature. You can point them to Christ over and over and over again throughout your entire day without fear. Just make it who you are. And then allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide these people into the truth so that fewer and fewer and fewer people will be lost for all of eternity. To me, it would be a very sad thing if I had to stand before Jesus and say, you know, I knew you on the earth for over 40 years, but I can only point to maybe one or two that I ever actually influenced for the kingdom. It would be a very sad thing. I would be humbled. I would be embarrassed. I would be humiliated to have to stand before God and say, I, I just never felt comfortable. So I didn't. And it's not going to stop you from getting into heaven. He still loves you. And he's already forgiven you of your sins. But you are going to have to answer to that part of it. And so I encourage you, please, 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 please take this seriously. It is gross. Don't tell them about the gross. Tell them about the love of God. But understand in the back of your mind, if they don't accept the love of God, they face the gross. Let's pray.